It's great to see you at church. So glad that you are here. Um, and those people listening on iTunes and watching on YouTube as well. So welcome. We're so glad you're connecting with us online. That's fantastic. Um, this morning is our final installment in our How to Pray series. Um, we're going to start something new next Sunday. We're going to be looking um, at people's life-changing encounters with Jesus from the book of Luke. It's going to be a great series. So that's what's starting next week. But at the beginning of this year, we've been having this focus on prayer, and it's been so good to focus on prayer. We've had great teaching input on our Sundays. We've had opportunities to gather to pray together, which have been so encouraging. We've had the prayer room open, and it's been great to have this focus on prayer at the beginning um, of this year. In fact, there are two other prayer gatherings I want to let you know about um, tonight. Um, we um, have the joy of being in great friendship with other churches in Burgess Hill, and we're going to be gathering with them. I'd love to invite you to come, 7 p.m. at St. Andrews, over the other side of town um, on Junction Road, to pray together um, with other churches for our town. So that's tonight. And then next Sunday, we're going to do another Kingdom Come prayer evening. We just felt so encouraged by those evenings we had together in January, and we felt we wanted to get another one in the diary. So next Sunday evening in here, got another chance to gather to worship and pray. And through this month, we've had these boards over here um, to your right, um, where we've encouraged people to write thanksgiving to God and answers to prayer. And it's been fantastic to see what's written over there. It's amazing, actually, to celebrate what God has been doing as we've been praying together. I'd encourage you to go and have a look at some point. But this morning, I want to ask another question about prayer that I think at some point in our life, we will all have asked, maybe this is what you're asking right now, what do we do when it feels like God doesn't answer our prayers? How do we pray when God seems silent? I'm absolutely certain that miracles happen today. I'm absolutely certain of it. I believe that God is the way maker and the miracle worker. And I believe there's probably more miracles happening around us than we even realize and every moment we get a glimpse to see one, we should celebrate it and shout from the rooftops and praise God for it. I am absolutely persuaded in that. But I think we should also be honest about the reality of prayers and longings that are unanswered. I don't think we should kind of, kind of sweep that under the carpet and hope no one notices. I think we need to be honest about these kind of things because I'd imagine most people in this room have had at times in their lives wondered about that question. Maybe, maybe you're kind of new to church, and this is your question. You're like, well, I'm here to find out more, and I hear Christians talk about the fact that God is loving, and that God is powerful, and that God answers prayer, but why don't I see more evidence of it then? Maybe that's the question that you have. I know that for many here this morning, unanswered prayer is one of the hardest and most painful things to get your head around in the Christian faith. I've had many conversations with people, and this is the question. This question has caused confusion. This question has caused pain. It can feel sometimes like miracles happen to everyone else apart from you, and you wonder why that's the case. It's a question I've asked myself many, many times. I believe in prayer. I really believe in prayer. I believe God answers prayer. And yet there's been times when I've really prayed but it felt like God's been silent. I've prayed for people um, who are ill. I've sat by their bedside and prayed, God, I believe you're the healer, and I pray for them to be healed, and they've died. 
I've um, prayed for marriages to be restored, and they haven't been restored. There are people that um, used to be part of this church family, worshipping alongside us Sunday by Sunday, who through their own pain and disappointment have walked away from God, and I have pleaded before God for them, sometimes through tears, and feels like there's nothing. Feels like there's silence. Where's God in those moments? Why doesn't he answer? Sometimes you hear kind of cliche answers to this um, question. You know, the type of answer you can write on a post-it note or you can reduce down to put on a nice little pithy tweet. Yeah, I hear people say, sometimes God answers yes, sometimes God answers no, and sometimes he says wait when it comes to prayer. And I actually agree with that, but sometimes it doesn't kind of do justice to the pain and the discomfort that some of these things filled that does it a pithy response a neat tweetable answer doesn't quite do justice to the confusion or the disappointment that we carry because of unanswered prayer so where do we even start as we try to think about such a huge and complex subject um well maybe the best place to start is to think through some of the reasons why god may not answer our prayers in the way that we hope to that we can kind of logic out and understand so maybe God doesn't say yes always to our prayers because actually what we pray for isn't good for us and God knows best sometimes God knows actually what is good for us and there are maybe occasions in our lives where we look back and are very grateful God did not answer our prayers in the way that we hoped that he would at the time Um, Ruth Graham the late wife of the evangelist Billy Graham once said this God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man several times. Now, sometimes it is because of God's kindness and his love that he doesn't give us the answers that we ask for. It's um, like my kids. Sometimes they run to me and ask for something, and I'll say no because I know what's best for them. When they come kind of bouncing up and asking for another can of Coke, please don't go have another can of Coke. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to give you a can of Coke. I know what's best for you. I also know what's best for us as parents, so that, that's not going to happen right now. Um, and they may not like it when I say no, and equally we may not like it when sometimes it feels like God says no to us. But in time we may look over our shoulder and think, thank you God for your kindness in that situation. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because of the things that we ask him for. Now, I know the Bible says we should um, pray with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests, and I know that, I believe that, and I do that. But sometimes, if we're honest, our prayers are a little bit more self-focused than they are God-focused, aren't they? If we're honest. For example, imagine a bride is preparing for her wedding day, and it's been an awesome summer of hot weather, and so she desperately prays, God, please can this good sunny weather continue for my wedding day? You get why she'd pray that. God says in the Bible, God gives us the desires of our heart. We understand why she might want to pray for good weather. But then imagine there's a farmer whose field's back onto the reception venue who is at the same time praying, God, please send rain, otherwise there's not going to be a harvest. Whose prayer does God answer? Does he flip a celestial coin? Heads, the bride gets it, tails, the farmer. I'm not sure it works like that somehow. Imagine you're going to the shops and you... Pray for a car parking space. Not a bad thing to talk to God about. He loves it when we talk to him. Um, But maybe God would say, you're a bright chap. You can find one yourself. (laughs) Or maybe God might say, to be honest with you, the walk would do you good. (laughs) Or what happens if there's two Christians praying and only one car parking space? (laughs) How does God work that one out? 
Is it like, um, you get it if you didn't break the speed limit on the way there? <laughs> Again, I'm not sure it works like that. I'm not sure God is sat in heaven with an iPad, moving the cloud here and a cloud there to respond to every prayer that we pray. He can, we know, he's Lord of the weather. The Bible clearly tells us that. Maybe most of the time, God lets weather systems be weather systems because he created them. There are seven billion people in the planet, and God alone knows all of their prayers and what would happen if he said yes to every one of them. Anyone seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Bruce Almighty has um, the responsibilities of being God for a few days, and one of his first responsibilities is to work out how he's going to answer everyone's prayers. So he says, oh no, I'll do this, I'll set up an email inbox. And um, all the prayers come in, and he simply does an auto-reply, yes, to everyone's prayers. And then within a few hours, he sees the world is in chaos because he's given everyone what they ask for. And sometimes that isn't the best thing to do. Sometimes God doesn't say yes to our prayers because there's a bigger picture that we know nothing about. I love um, Radio 5 Live, um, 606 talking. Anyone listen to the football talking on 5 Live? Uh, two, okay. Um, 5-0 live football talking normally happens after there's been a round of Premier League games, and I love it because you get these really enthusiastic football fans call up, and um, they talk about their team, and um, they have very strong opinions about what their team should do, even though most of them have never played football. And most of them have never um, managed a football team, let alone manage a football team in the Premier League. And yet they are convinced they know what the manager of their team should be doing. They give advice on who should be playing and in what position. And all of that is very funny because they think they know everything, but in fact they don't know anything. They haven't been in training all week. They don't know the players personally. They don't know the team dynamics. They don't know the kind of research the team's been doing on the opposition. They don't know any of that, and yet they know best. And we're like that with prayer sometimes. We like to give God advice, don't we, of what we think he should be doing, because we know best. But the reality is there are factors happening in the cosmos, in the universe, and in the planet that we know nothing about. Now, we may be able to get our heads around some of these thoughts. Our rational mind might understand that God may know best and therefore doesn't always say yes to our requests. But then there are deeper questions, aren't there? There are questions that we can't quite find a neat answer and explanation to. Things happen in our lives that seem to make no sense. We go through seasons of difficulty and God seems to do nothing to help We read that the Bible says, ask and it will be given to you, and we ask and it wasn't. What do we do with those kind of questions? It's important that we wrestle with these kind of questions, actually. Know what the Bible says, because there will be times when our life hits hardship, and there will be times when we don't see the answers to our prayers that we hope for. And in those moments, what is our faith rooted in? Is our faith rooted in our circumstances or is our faith rooted in the word of God, the love of God and the promises of God? We need to know what we're rooted in in moments like that. How how do we begin to answer these questions? Well, I felt the only way we could really begin to do it is to look at Jesus because everything in life, he's a role model and example, isn't he, in the Christian life? So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark 14 if you can. Um, I'm going to read of what Jesus went through. If you're here this morning and you feel like your most heartfelt prayers aren't being answered right now, if you're feeling like you're asking God to remove you from a situation and he's not doing that right now, listen, you're not alone. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. This is on the night before he was crucified. 
and we read that he's in the garden of Gethsemane. It says in Mark 14, verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So it's Thursday night, the night before Jesus is crucified, and we read that he is full of sadness and overwhelmed with sorrow, troubled and filled with distress. It's, I find it very moving to imagine Jesus like that. Um, we often think of Jesus' strength and his clarity, and here we see him in incredible vulnerability and weakness, overwhelmed with sorrow. If you ever have felt overwhelmed with sorrow, Jesus knows what that feels like deeply troubled and in distress. And we read that Jesus prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Basically, he knows what he's about to face. He knows he's going to be arrested, beaten, crucified. And he's asking the Father, is there any other way? He's praying, God, please can this scenario not happen? Is there another option here? Is there another way through this. And Jesus knows God is able to do anything. Look what it says. It says, Father, everything is possible for you. Jesus is absolutely certain about God's ability to act. This is um, really so important because one of the wrestles of unanswered prayer, I think, is the fact that we do carry a conviction that God can do anything. And if God can do anything and God can do everything, why is he not doing this one thing that I so desperately would like him to do? I think it would be easier maybe if we believed God was in somehow limited and not able to do everything because it would make a sense sometimes of our unanswered requests. But one of the battles is to know that God can do anything and then to wonder why sometimes it feels like that thing doesn't happen and we can find it confusing. Jesus prays, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. This cup is like a, it's a picture, it's a metaphor of the suffering and the separation from God that he's about to encounter. Everything's possible, God, so is it possible to take this suffering from me? He knows the cross was looming. He's pleading with God to take the ordeal away. You can do it, Lord. You can take away what I'm about to go through. Maybe you've prayed something similar. I believe you're powerful, God. I believe you're able to do all things. Father, everything is possible for you. Would he please take this suffering from me? Or would he take this suffering from this person that I love? Is it possible that I don't have to walk through this, don't have to do this? Maybe you can relate to Jesus' prayer here. Last summer, I stood in a hospital room in London um, next to the bedside of someone that I knew pretty well. Um, I'd known her for over 10 years. Um, I knew her family, husband, little son. Um, knew her parents well, had had meals in her home. She's actually visited um, this church before. And um, I was in a, a hospital room in London, and I stood by her bedside and prayed for her to be healed of the cancer that had robbed her of so much. 
And I stood with her husband, and I stood with her parents, and we held hands around the hospital bed. And I prayed this. I said, Father, everything's possible for you. And I believe that. Father, everything is possible for you. Please, will you take this cup of suffering away from her? Please, will you take this cancer away? Please, will you heal her? This doesn't make any sense to me. She loves you, Lord. She's got a husband. She's got a small kid. I don't understand. Please, God, will you take this cup of suffering away? I believe you. You are possible. Everything is possible for you, Lord. You're the healer. She loved Jesus. She was a worship leader. She was a creative person. And together, as a kind of with a family, I prayed, everything's possible for you, God. The next time I saw her family was about two and a half weeks later at her funeral, where I was asked to say a few words. God, everything is possible. Would you take this cancer away? And she died. I don't have any answer for that. I don't have a post-it note response. I can't quite make sense of it all, if I'm honest. And the reality is I won't decide of eternity. I do know that she's free of cancer now. I know that. Why that didn't happen on the way we expected and the timescales we hoped, I don't know. I've got to live with the tension of the mystery of that. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to reconcile God's promises with the circumstances that we face. But I know God's good. I know his promises are true. I know they will all be fulfilled, even if they're not fulfilled now. However, what I saw in this family was incredibly powerful, incredibly moving. I saw a family who, despite their grief and despite their pain, still chose to trust God, still chose to worship, still chose to put their faith in him. I got a letter from her dad at Christmas, and it said this, As we come to the end of what has been the most difficult year for us as a family, we still are able to say that God is good because somehow we have made it. God has been the source of our strength during this whole difficult season and we continue to tap into the never-ending or drying fountain of his grace that enable us to take one day at a time. Somehow this family has still been able to trust God even though the cup was not taken away. Father, everything is possible and yet there are times when God doesn't heal in this lifetime or he doesn't remove us supernaturally from the situation that we're in so how do we keep praying in those moments? Well, we need to go back to Jesus again in Mark 14. Jesus knew God could answer his prayer. He knew that everything was possible, and he asked God to take away his suffering. And then he prayed this simple but most profound prayer, yet not what I will, but what you will. What a prayer. Nine words that changed the world. Jesus surrenders his life to the Father's will and ultimately to the cross. He does it in order that we may be forgiven, in order that we may be saved, in order that we may know God. How grateful I am that Jesus prayed this prayer, yet yeah, not my will but yours be done. What a prayer. What a moment of surrender. Jesus makes this incredible declaration of trust. Father, I know you're able to do this. I'd really like you to take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, your will be done, Father. It's an incredible declaration, and we know that the cup was not taken away. Jesus went through the unbearable suffering of that Easter weekend, beaten and hung on a cross. Can't even imagine what he went through, but Jesus chose his Father's will in it all. 
yet not what I will, but what you will. As I've thought about this in my preparation this morning, I've realized how many of my prayers are the opposite to Jesus's. Jesus, please let my will happen. Please, may you do the thing that I want you to do. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. There may even be good things that I'm praying for, but if I'm honest, the things that I would like to happen, that I would like to see. Father, please can you do what I would like you to do rather than, Father, please could you help me understand what your will is? Jesus taught us to pray, Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, I think it's easy to pray that when life is good and there's no trials and there's no difficulties and there's answers to prayer and there's miracles. It may be quite easy to pray, God, let your will be done in those moments. It's much harder to pray, let your will be done in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of confusion, to pray a prayer of surrender in those moments. God, I don't get it all. The Bible tells me that your ways are higher than my ways, different than my ways. I don't understand it all. But your will be done in my life, not my will. Wow, that's a courageous prayer. I think sometimes because we live in a Western culture uh, filled with uh, marketing and adverts and celebrity and Instagram, um, we forget some of the things the Bible says. Do you know Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Anyone got that as a fridge magnet in their kitchen? It's not the kind of verses that get printed off, is it? So when things go bad for us or hard for us we're like are shocked and amazed as if to say why me I'm a follower of Jesus and we forget what the Bible says do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering as if something strange were happening to you but when it happens it feels strange the Bible doesn't promise that when we follow Jesus that our life will be straightforward and actually it says the opposite there'll be suffering and hardship and trial that's why there's so many verses that says you're going to need to be courageous You're going to need to stand firm. You're going to need to persevere. What do we stand firm and what do we persevere in? We can only stand firm and persevere in the promises and the word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 8. You know these verses, many of you, I guess. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wrote this because he anticipated Christians would go through seasons of hardship and trial, and he's encouraged them, when you're in the middle of it, know this, you're not separated from the love of Christ. Even when we don't see him, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But you are not separate from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How do I know that? Because I'm building my life on this. Not on my feelings or my experiences. So in these moments, are we able to pray like Jesus? Not my will be done, but yours. Can we trust what the Bible says is true? Can we actually grasp that as we go through these things and trust God, we are actually becoming more like Jesus. Now, sometimes we want to become more like Jesus in the victorious stories, in the miracles, and absolutely that. But actually, we need to become more like Jesus as we trust in the times that don't quite make sense as well. So this is what Jesus prayed on the Thursday night. 
before the Good Friday. Maybe you're in a Thursday night place right now. Maybe this is your prayer. God, everything's possible for you. Please take this from me. Please hear my heart. Are we able to also say, but not my will, but yours be done? It's a brave prayer to pray. The next day, let's go back to Jesus' story just for a moment. Good Friday afternoon, Jesus is hung, undignified from a cross. And in Mark 15, we hear him pray again. Mark 15, 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer. There's just an uncomfortable silence. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water and a voice boomed from heaven. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Here at the cross, when Jesus cries out, maybe in his greatest moment of need, there's nothing. The silence. That silence continues through Easter Saturday when God said nothing. That's the place some of you feel like you're in right now. You call out to God and it feels like, did he even hear me? You wish you'd say either yes or no or something, but it's just like, are you even there, God? What happens when there's only silence and no explanation? Pete Gregg, in his outstanding book, which is called God on Mute, about this subject. We've got some copies at the back. I'd recommend it highly. He says, Easter Saturday is the no man's land between questions and answers, prayers uttered and miracles to come. It's where we wait with a peculiar mix of faith and despair whenever God is silent or life doesn't make sense. Sometimes there's no neat explanations. Sometimes we simply have to wait and trust. Maybe this is where we see the greatest display of faith in God, actually. When we trust him in the silence, when we trust him, when we don't get the answer we long for, when we still believe that God is able to act and keep praying and keep worshiping him despite it all. Do you know, um, the people who have inspired me most in uh, my Christian faith are actually those who have been through incredible hardship, and incredible pain, and incredible longing, and haven't seen the deepest longings of their prayers answered in the way they had hoped, and yet they still choose to worship God, and still choose to trust, and still choose to hold on to the promises of God. There are men and women like that in our church. I've been pastor here for 12 years. I've observed people go through stuff that I can't even imagine, and then I've seen how they've worshipped and I'm like, that is a true example of a man and woman of faith who in the silence and in the longing and in the confusion are choosing to worship God and say, even though I don't see it, he's working. Even though I don't feel it, he's working because I know nothing can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus. The reality is, I think there are Easter Saturday moments for all of us sometimes, moments that feel full of silence, wondering, waiting, we know the story doesn't end there. We know Easter Sunday comes. We know that silence would soon turn into stunning celebration and death turn to life and despair into declaration. And we discover 
God was not absent in the silence. God was at work all the time. If you feel like you're in a silent Saturday right now, please can I encourage you to hold on. Keep trusting. Keep rooted in the Bible. Keep believing that nothing can separate you from the love of God. I don't understand everything about this subject. I just don't. I don't think anyone does. I don't understand why some prayers seem to be answered in the way we'd hoped and others don't. But I have seen enough of the goodness and the love and the power of God to know that we can hold on. And he is a firm foundation. Easter Sunday was coming in this story. There is going to be a day. The Bible is clear where we will discover every prayer that we prayed was heard. God will make all things new. We can hold on to the promises of God in those moments. He is going to renew this messed up planet and we'll discover he's heard every single prayer that we've prayed. God hasn't abandoned you. As I try to conclude some thoughts on this very complex and difficult subject, let me just say one more thing and then I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up and we're going to just respond to God. What if some prayers aren't answered because prayer is not actually about the answer anyway? It's about knowing God. What if God wants us to see that he himself is the answer that we need? And that actually prayer is the process of discovering that it's God that we need, not even the answer he may give us. What happens if actually some of the things we go through happen in order to draw us deeper? Because actually there are some moments that drive us to God in a different kind of way. What if these things happen that we may not rely on ourselves but more completely on God? You see, prayer is actually, it is about the answers, but it's not about the answers. Prayer is about a relationship. That's what Tim said a few weeks ago. We're called into a relationship. God's great and God's primary aim is that we may know him through relationship. And we get to speak with him through prayer. He wants a living relationship, not just now, but forever with us. He wants to know you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to know that in the midst of it, he is there for you. And his word is true. And maybe prayer, the reality of this subject is that God himself is the answer that we're looking for. Rather than anything else he might do for us. What if we could fix our gaze on the promises of scripture and on the promises of God that he will always be with us because he wants a relationship. There's a verse that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'll finish with this and then we'll just pray a moment. He says this, for our light and momentary troubles, our troubles don't often feel light and momentary, but what Paul says is this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, this is his encouragement. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's an eternal picture God wants us to see. He is going to make all things new. You will discover he's heard every prayer you've prayed. Why they don't get answered in the way we want in this lifetime, only God knows. But he is good, and he does love you.